When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another Record Celtic podcast. My name is Daniel Caught and I'm delighted to be joined by Record Sports, Michael Gannon and Craig Swan. Guys, how are you? Not bad, chaps. How are we? Daniel, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. I'm, uh, this is my favourite part of the week. I know we're here to talk about Celtic guys, but I think I need to start by asking your thoughts on the World Cup. Mick, how's it, how's it went for you so far? Well, it's a bit weird talking about World Cup when I've just opened my advent calendar day one, though. <laughs> Um, I can't quite get my head around it um, yet. Um, yeah, you know what? It's been quite good. It's not been the same World Cup. I must admit, maybe it's quite the time of year and all that stuff and the negative publicity. And some of the games have been good. Some have been a bit. Uh, a lot of nil-nil draws at half time. I, I seem to have watched a lot of first halves and then been called into action somewhere else uh, and missed the second half. So unfortunately, I think there's been 17 goalless draws out of 34 in the first halves, and I seem to catch all of them. So um, the World Cup's not been great for me so far, but yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, it's starting to bubble up nicely, I guess, for the, for the kind of incoming knockout stages. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but it's been all right. Swanee, who's your money on? Brazil has been from the outset, and a few quid at that, so let's hope they get the damage done. Um, I'm slightly different to Mike in the sense that I've really enjoyed it. I, I sometimes find... The tournament's on in the summer, you're kind of doing other things, you're playing golf, you're away doing this and that, and you're busy. The timing of the games has been great. Freezing cold, dark mornings, pouring the rain. Drop the kids at school and come back in, there's a game getting ready to start. I think it's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed it. I actually gutted the group games. Kind of stopped or finished being 10 o'clock the other day because it's been great just watching World World football. So, no, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've, I've liked it at this time of the year. I think tomorrow, as we're recording on Thursday, Friday's the last day of four games, which is a bit depressing. Um, and I agree with Brazil, I agree with Brazil. I think not just for the fact they're Brazil, but they're really solid, Brazil at the back. Great defence, Casemiro, great goalie. But, and I, I know I, I hate even saying it, I'm a bit worried about England. I think England have got a great chance. They've got, they've got the same chances as probably about another four or five teams. I think Brazil are the ones that are like, the kind of um, the standout, aren't they? Really, in terms of what they've got right the way through the team. Um, but apart from that, you've got France, Spain, England, Portugal. I think Portugal's one to watch. By the way, uh-huh. I think Portugal could be a dark horse to go all the way this time. Um, but England are in that bracket. The kind of next next one down that it could go for them and could not. I think they've not played anyone half decent yet. So when they do, that'll be interesting. Um, well, I don't think I don't think that, that defense can cope. So that'll be the big I test. Think- they seem to get good draws all the time. They'll probably get the quarterfinals. They'll, they'll get Josh's Giants and then the Mighty Ducks in the semi-finals <laughs> and, and play against Bowen and uh, Bayliston under under nineteens in the final. So who knows? I, th- I think defense is, is is probably the key word, Michael, on that because that's the one thing about Brazil. They're absolutely solid, and we're so used to seeing the Buccaneers and fullbacks that they have, and they're not really doing it with this team. Fullbacks, a great goalkeeper. But whereas the other teams, France, Spain, England, Germany, all look ropey at the back. 
Yeah. It's a it's quite a it's quite a boring Brazil team, I think though. I must admit though. Yeah. I don't like seeing boring Brazil. I like seeing the, the old fashioned Brazil with the kind of swashbuckle on Brazil, but they're, they're kind of boring, like you say, they're a bit more a bit more streetwise, aren't they? Which would probably means why they win it, but it's um it's not as exciting. The game on night was, was, was chronic they were playing them. Swashbuckling Brazil doesn't bring home the cash. <laughs> well, time will tell. Um I think obviously with the with the World Cup being on, there's been no Celtic games to talk about, but there's been plenty going on in the background, particularly with the transfer window just around the corner. Um, the big news today, or maybe, or maybe start with yourself, Mick, is that in record sport we have um, the exclusive that Jackie Marcus, George's Jackie Marcus, is looking for a January exit from Celtic over, apparently over um, unfulfilled promises around the new contract. What do you make of the news, and how big a blow would that be for Celtic? It sounds like an old throwback story to the Fergus McCann years, doesn't it? I'm to carry on that, I know. <laughs> like kind of gentlemen's uh, agreements and all that kind of stuff. I said they'll be a bit to the throne. Um, I keep going back to the, the line that, that Ange Postacoglu said at the AGM, where he basically said, "Don't get too close to your heroes," because he's he's planning an, an aggressive transfer strategy, which means that the, the guys come and going quite quickly, no matter how well they do or whatever. So I, I, I'm starting to suspect that these guys are falling into that bracket. And I think Jackie Marcus has been a good player for Celtic. Not a great start. A few injuries along the way. He's been missed a few games to injuries. Kind of been second fiddle. To Kyogo when they both both being fit, um, so I can see why he's, he's well liked by supporters and he scores a lot of goals. But I could, if there's a chance to make a, a few quid for him and for the club, I could see why it'd be agreeable to both. Um, there's going to be some some kind of um, not not say not shocking or surprising, but there's going to be some twists and turns in the transfer market in both directions for Celtic. I think in January and beyond. And Swanee. Um... 13 goals in 21 appearances last season for Jack Marcus. 20 goals in 21 starts for Celtic and 8 goals so far this season. Do you think he's a player worth pushing the boat out for? Or, as Mick says, is it just one of those things that it's maybe time for it to move on? I think, going back to what Michael said about Poster Cogler's comments at the AGM, I think what the Celtic fans will do, have done and will continue to do is trust the manager in the market. Now, you have to remember it was Postacoglu who went out and sourced Jackie Marcus in the first place, got him in bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would, I don't think there's any way on earth George's Jackie Marcus would be allowed to leave Celtic in January without a replacement being ready to go. And given the manager's track record, you would suggest the replacement will be a step up. So, as Michael says, if they can make some money, I think it's, I don't think Celtic are going to lose out of this situation. The manager's too shrewd to let somebody go for somebody lesser to come in. So if he stays, Celtic got a proven goal scorer who knows the place and is settled is settled in. After Michael says the injuries, he's settled in. You know he's going to score whenever he's on the pitch. If he goes, Celtic get a few quid and they'll get a better player. In. I think I think the manager's record in the transfer market tells you that. And I think it's worth saying as well. He's he's got a contract still until twenty twenty six. So. You know, Mike, it's not like he's going to, there's any pressure on Celtic really to, to get a deal done next month and, you know, make, make a few quid off him. There's, you know, the ball's in Celtic's court, really. No, well, exactly. The contract was signed, I mean, what, 18 months ago until um, 2026. So uh, that, that's in place. Um, if a player isn't happy, then that's, that's not necessarily their problem, but it, it kind of is. You know what I mean, and I get the impression from, from Posta Coglu, I don't think, he, I'm not saying he sees the players as dis- disposable, but. He's he's quite ruthless, isn't he? When it comes to that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you either want to be part of it or not. Um, 
it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, even when he came in at the start of last season, they were talking about the, the Edwards and Christie's and all that stuff and, and Ayer. And he basically saying, if you don't want to be here, you're not going to be here. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, so if there's any hint of that at any point in time, then you'll be gone, no matter what. So I think he will be quite ruthless. But I think Swally touched on it. He does want to quite quickly ramp up the level of, of player at the club. Um, he spoke to us after the AGM and he kind of suggested he wants to, to turn this kind of model we said they've got of signing a player for a million, selling for six or two million and ten. He wants to get up to buying players for five and selling for 15, buying for 10 and selling for 30. He wants to, he wants to, to ramp it up to another another rung on the ladder to try and get them competitive in, in a European environment. Listen, that's not easy. But if he thinks he can generate some funds by selling some players to bring in better players, that therefore then they start a different circle, a different cycle, then he'll do it. Um, that's that's all part of this aggressive transfer strategy he's talking about. So it'll be interesting to see if he can pull it off. But as it's as a swan touched on as well, he's earned the trust of his board and the supporters with his eye for a player. He's had very few um misgivings in the in the, the transfer market or, or um mistakes, sorry, the transfer market. So he's earned the trust of everyone. Now it's a case of well, let's see what you can do. That's what you want to do. Let's go and see it. Uh, one of the names that's already been mentioned, Swanee, about, about who could replace Jackamakis, um is the South Korean striker Cho, and I, I pray that I'm pronouncing this correctly, uh, Cho Gae Sung, who for South Korea earlier this week scored twice at the World Cup against Ghana. He came off the bench and scored twice um, in the second half. I thought it was quite interesting. It's him that's been linked with Celtic because he's similar to Jackamakis in the sense that he, he looked like a big, a big guy, good in the air, imposing. I think it's important for um, for Celtic to have, you know, almost the counter opposite to Kyogo, if that makes sense. You know, and and wants one of one of either, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, uh, and but on that note, not so much a, an old style target hitman. You know, somebody who can be physical and is good in the air, but is also mobile. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, Jackie Matthews is quite physical and he's quite muscular and he can he can bully defenders, but he's actually reasonably quick. Nice, he's not nice. Kyle quick, but he's reasonably quick. Um, being a World Cup nerd that I am and having watched just about every game, I watched that kid come off the bench the other day and he looked brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he attacked the ball in the box, there was one at the end as well, after they, he'd scored the two goals to get it to 2-2. Ghana went 3-2 up and then there was another ball into the back post and there was like the goalkeeper and two defenders and the lad just it literally slung himself and two defenders into the net at the same time in an attempt to get his head on it. He got a foul given against him, but he thought... Really good aggression and the way he scored his second goal as well. So, listen, Postecoglou appears to have an eye in every single market. So, if he's if, he's, if this kid's been identified, he's clearly got it. That's what I was going to say. That I thought it was eye catching the fact that um, he's still he's still playing in South Korea. He's only, he's twenty four, still young, but you know he's a thought a boy of talent. You know, they've been south, scouted out by a lot of European teams. Six goals in eighteen for South Korea, as you said, really eye catching the other day, but. Literally last season, the second tier of Korean football. So but again, this, this just comes back to, uh, you know, Chris Sutton spoke about it in his record column last week. It's been ahead of the curve. It's been ahead of the game. It's spotting ones that others don't see. I take your point, Daniel. Six goals in 18 games for the national team would suggest most people would probably have known. But knowing and actually being the ones who take the punt is two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I don't... I don't imagine Ange Postecoglou, as good as he is in the transfer market, is the only guy with a shrewd eye around Europe. I'm quite sure, for example, loads of people knew that Rio Hattati had potential. Mm-hmm. But 
there's a difference between knowing that and having the conviction to go for it and do it and make it happen. Um, we obviously talk about the clubs in the bigger leagues. There's a there's a tax that they pay. We know that, like your English clubs, your Italian clubs, your Spanish clubs, they have to take the step first before they go in. They can afford to say it's okay. You can go to Celtic or go to Belgium or go to Holland and play a season there, and then we'll pay twelve million for you instead of two. They do that, so they're almost out of the equation. But it's kind of that tier of teams: Belgium, Holland, these countries that could be looking at players like that. The Germans obviously have used the Asian market superbly. That's one thing you would say. They've, they've got a large core of players from, from that market. But Boston Coglu seems to know up, seems to know his way around all the all the areas. And if, if he's one that he likes, again, the Celtic fans would just would trust him implicitly. Another player, Mick, that has um, been getting a lot of attention during the World Cup break has been uh, Joseph Juranovic. Um, he seems to be a kind of player, a player. Just as me from speaking to Celtic fans and social media and what have you, he seems to be a player that divides opinion a wee bit. I feel like one week he's a world beater, the next he's not quite. And I feel like a lot of Celtic fans are torn on him. Um, do you think he is worthy of the kind of speculation around him? I think he's a top player. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why there's any kind of um, debate around him. I think he's a top player. Listen, he's, he's Croatian World Cup right back for a reason. Um, no, I think he's a, a listen defensively has his little moments now and again, but listen, he's a modern day fullback, uh, who's unfortunately not unfortunately, but the way it is now in the world football that your fullbacks used to be defenders first and foremost, that's not the case anymore. And just the guys that happen to defend sometimes, um, and yeah, susceptible that, that ball to the back post, he can get caught out sometimes, he caught out against Canada, didn't he? In the first minute, he was a bit kind of um, cocking a ball watching. Um, but I think in the most part he's a top class player. I think he showed it that night as well. It was built as a kind of um, battle of Celtics right back or the, the present, one in the future with Arthur Johnson and, and the Canada team. But I thought Juranovic by the end of the match he was well in control and he played really well. Um, he's a really versatile player. He can play right back, left back. He can play midfield. He, he plays that inverted role really well. I think he's a top class player, Juranovic. Um, and I don't think he, he's, people should be ushering him out the door. Um, that quickly, but I understand if he if he wants to make a move and he thinks he can get a bit a move up the up the chain, then fair enough. I think Celtic need to get some money from him. Um, but I, I, I certainly wouldn't be driving him to the, the the airport given the chance. I think he's a good player worth keeping if they could. But I can understand the reason why maybe cashing in. What do you think? Sorry, sorry, go on. Just to add to something Michael said, I, I think he you know being in the position he's in in international football and at the World Cup, and he's obviously top class. I think everybody has seen that when he's on it. He's, he's really on it. And sometimes these guys are susceptible to switching off a wee bit. I refer you back to Virgil van Dijk, mm-hmm. as, as, as good a player as Celtic have had, but with have days when it was just too easy for him and just switched off, made mistakes. Didn't make him a, didn't lessen the fact he was a top-class player. I'm not saying Joseph Dranovic is as good as Virgil van Dijk. I'm just making a comparison that some days he can just switch off. And or have moments in games where he switches off, but mm. it's almost I wouldn't say it's too easy for him. But I think he's capable of playing at a very high level. What do you make, Swanee, of the kind of seemingly impending, you know, Alistair Johnson arrival? And and you know, again, it looks like Celtic have been quite ruthless in the fact that if there's noise about Janovic maybe going, well, look, we've got a replacement ready. I refer you back to my earlier answer. <laughs> Fair enough, okay. Do you have to trust the manager? If you, if you think, if, if, if Joseph Juranovic's position with his contract just now and where he's playing at, playing at the World Cup, was the Celtic paid from some 
three million or something, two point something. Yeah. So I'll tell them like five times that at least. In yeah. the space of what, just over a year and a half. Yeah, that, that's that's how the model is going to work. Mm-hmm. If you can get if, if if that if an offer comes in where Celtic can make five, six times their money and they've got someone else ready to go, you trust the manager that the guy who's coming in ready to go is going to be able to deputize and you make your money. I need I know we're we're, we're, talk, we're talking about literally maybe 45 minutes between us I've seen him play, but Mike, I, I thought Alistair Johnson looks like a good player from the, the bits and pieces I've seen. Actually, he looks as though he'd be fine, he, he, fine playing Scotland, that's for sure. I mean, he looks hard as nails. I think that uh, ice hockey upbringing of his will help him uh, with some of the more um, rough and tumble games in Scotland. Did someone say puck, puck off? I don't know, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think he'd be fine. I think, doesn't talking to people across the Atlantic, I think he's um, he's got potential. I don't think he's quite there yet. Um <laughs> I thought he's been good in spells in the World Cup. Had a few hairy moments as well, um, but I, I think he's a work in progress. Um, so, is it is an improvement on Juranovic? No, I don't think he is. Um, I think Juranovic's ahead of him in that respect. But if you're going to sell Juranovic for ten million quid and bring in a guy for I don't know up, a fee rising to three to replace him, who then becomes a, a better player on the back of it, is a good business. You can see it. The model works that way. Um, and, and obviously, the, the, maybe the manager would think he can do something with that that kind of player. Yeah, he looks like okay. Um, I said I think he's a he's a potential one. I wouldn't be talking. I wouldn't be writing off um, Tony Ralston either. Mm-hmm. Who's played a lot of games, and, t- and now it's the point with Tony Ralston when, when, he, when he does start, you're not really thinking, oh, he's he's just stepping in for Ivanovic or whatever. He's he's now he's he's now an accepted part of that, that squad who does a really good job for for Celtic. Um, Tony Ralston, his numbers are great in terms of equaling or even and surpassing. Numbers of um, Juranovic in terms of assists and in play and general play. So I, I think Celtic are, are well equipped. That, that if they bring in someone to replace Juranovic, uh, then they have still have they still have two decent right backs there. Tony Ralston's the key, to all, isn't he, Michael? What's that? He, Tony Ralston's the key to it all, really, isn't he? Because oh, you, you, it's a bit similar to Alexandro Bernabe coming in. There wasn't a need for Ange Postecoglou to bring him in and throw him in the team because he had Greg Taylor. Yeah, because Ralston's so dependable, he could bring Johnson in and give him time, give him time to settle, give him time to bed in, give him just drop him into the team now and again. It's not like he'd be thrown straight in. So I think yeah. Tony Ralston would have a big part to play in that and in easing the transition. And that yeah. and that that's if Juranovic goes in January. I mean, it could be that he's he's there for the rest of the year. Johnson beds in through five six months, and then Juranovic goes in the summer. And usually fees are a bit offers are a bit more attractive, and fees can be a bit more. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think the Celtic squad is back together later this month. I think it's in Portugal, isn't it? And they've got a friendly against Rennes. Um, and I know Callum McGregor will be back, which is great news. But I mean, Mick, you were obviously in Australia with the Celtic team. I did ask you this on on our Facebook Live we did, but just to kind of follow up on it, is there any of the players there that younger players, maybe some like Boston Lowell or uh, Vata, that would maybe take the step up after after the, the Christmas break? Uh, I would doubt it at this point in time. I don't think that seems to be the priority of the way the club's going right now. Um, uh, I mean, those are the ones that are, are kind of knock, knocking on the door. Uh, I think Vata's interesting one. I thought he looked pretty good out in Australia when we saw him. Looked really lively. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps, but um, I, I don't think um, in the short term you're going to see these guys chucked in. There's too much at stake, I think, to get this, this league title um, sorted, especially Champions League qualification. 
up for grabs and all that stuff. It's it's a it's a, it's a, a real higher wire act to need to, to do this this year. And um, if listen, if they, if they win the league with room to spare, you'll see them getting chucked in. But in the meantime, I, I don't I don't really see it just now. Um, just the way the club has been going in, in recent years, um, it's there's not really a these guys look, look quite good, but there's not a, there's not like a Kieran Tierney, a guy you can chuck right in and say, Right, that's you for the next well, 25 games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really a time to be kind of chopping and changing in that respect. Um, it's got a really important spell when they come back from this break because it's um, some big games, a chance to really kind of stamp the authority on the league. Um, and I think that a while before you see these guys making any kind of impact. And Swanee, we've mentioned Australia there, but I think we should mention obviously Australia. I know we touched on the World Cup, but some achievement for them getting out of that group. Adam Moy at the centre of it all. Um, Argentina at the weekend. Who knows how far they can go? Well, I know, I know Argentina will be huge favourites, but still a great campaign for them. They've done really, really well, haven't they? And I mean, there's a real. But you, you hear the cliche being trotted out all the time by managers and players. It's all about the team. It's not about individuals. But you really watch Australia and you think that. You know, they. you remember back in the... We all remember when they last made the, the knockout stages. You had your, you know, your Mark Vidukas and Tim Cahills. And there was always standout players. Harry Kules, you know, were standout players in the time when they played for the national team. But there's really not an out-and-out out star as such. And the way they just dig in for each other is incredible. And the way that I, I have to say... The way that the, the guys, um, the defensive players, I mean, I don't think Denmark tested them. In the, and I don't think the Denmark team that played against them the other day was anything like the Denmark team that played against Scotland and Copenhagen, for example. They just looked lost, as if all the stuff that had happened before the tournament and all the campaigns and stuff that they'd gone on with had kind of taken their eye off, off the ball, but they weren't anywhere near it. Tunisia weren't wonderful either in an attacking sense, but the way the likes of... You know, the two Hearts lads, are certainly Kai Rose and Kai Rose and, and Harry Suter have defended them. They've rock solid and the whole team's just dug in. Everybody making blocks, tackles. And, you know, it's just everything on the line for each other. It's it's a great example of that. As I say, I know it's an old cliche and that we hear trotted out all the time, but they are the example of all for one. I mean, no stars and they have just dug in. And Will they beat Argentina? I would very much doubt it. But listen, you wouldn't put anything past them the way they're, the way they're getting on just now. And Moy's, Moy's been great. He looks like... It was interesting at the full-time whistle the other day, just watching on the telly, obviously I wasn't there, but the amount of guys who seemed to run to Aaron Moy, as if he was kind of a real senior figure in the group, we, we know he is with the caps he's got, but there seems to be a real respect there. There was a lot of guys charged straight for him, you know. And wasn't it brilliant to see the manager include Martin Boyle as well after the game in the huddles? Oh, that was good. Uh, having him part of the squad, that kind of, that typifies the togetherness that they've got. You know, the fact that he's been made to feel very much part of it, despite the fact he's he couldn't play and his manager's got his arm around him and he's got him in the middle of the huddle. They're, they're so together, they've been brilliant. I've got a wee soft spot for Jackson Irvin as well. You see him turning up in his Celtic kit for the for the meetup a couple of weeks ago, the 97-98 Celtic kit. I, I've always liked Jackson Irvin as well. Um, and Mick, I can't move on from today's podcast without mentioning. Listen, I find, I find watching Australia deeply un- upsetting for me in this World Cup. <laughs> a, a Scottish SPFL select team. <laughs> In the knockouts, having Scotland never reached the knockouts these a World Cup. Um, we've now got the, the centre half who's been absolutely off the chart, outstanding from Aberde- like Aberdeen Lund and Harry Souter. The, the best Scottish display at World Cups is actually Game in '78, and he's playing for Australia. It's absolutely <laughs> brutal watching this. These guys celebrating, and, and now he's gone further than any Scotland team ever. Cummins in the last 16 of a World Cup. What, I mean, what is going on here? Watch this. It's like it's the like. Last year. 
It's the, the lad Bezzy just left back. Celtic were taking nine goals off Dundee United earlier this season. It's like watching Bulls out and they roll at the ball on the, the speedboat. Here's what you could have won. <laughs> it's absolutely brutal. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to mention just the end there, Cameron Carter Vickers for America. Brilliant element as well. He was outstanding. Yeah, yeah I thought he yeah. was outstanding. Uh, against a, a real tough customer as well. Um, I thought he was brilliant. Really strong, really solid. Um, I think a wee fright at the end, didn't it? With the kind of the, kind of the, the VAR complaints and all, or the demands and all that stuff. But um, I thought he was excellent. Yeah, but he's another one who's probably put a few zeros in his, his valuation during this World Cup. Aye, definitely. I just want to show you that that did, did a totally separate point. But if anybody who saw the Argentina game, I yeah, God, I can't even remember who they played now, Poland, um, and the penalty that was given to Messi. Oh, it was, was so ridiculous. Oh, it was the worst decision you'll ever see. You think Cameron Carter-Vickers had an outstanding 90 minutes, 91 minutes, 92 minutes. He's come and he's really made it. Could you imagine a ridiculous that that penalty had been given? Why? And Anna scored it and knocked his country out of the World Cup. It would have, just, it would have busted his confidence for weeks, probably. It just yeah. was, it was a, I mean, a penalty in a million years. We all know that, but neither was the one that Messi got. To show you the fine margins because he, he was great, Carter Vickers. He was really, really good. And it makes the point he was up against a tough customer in Teremi. You saw the way Teremi got, um, Teremi managed to get off the back really easily of Harry Maguire. He scored his goal against England. He, Carter Vickers never allowed him to do that once the other night. He was really good. Yeah, I think touching on that, so only the, 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 the penalty kicks in the VAR. I think Ian Maxwell, um, SFA chief, had a, a point this week. When he said the kind of controversies in Scotland about these kind of handball decisions and all that stuff, he said, "Listen, look at the World Cup. It's like it's not just us. This is this is coming from the the, the games lawmakers, the IFABs of the world, and all that stuff. They really I'm need sorry. they really need to sort this out because that um, some of the penalty kick decisions and in particular the handball thing has got a bit ridiculous, I think, as well. Aye. Um, and we're seeing ones guys falling down in their hand behind their bum, not stuff getting penalty kicks against them. It's ridiculous. Aye. Yeah." Um, I mean, it used to been they've got away from the fact that the handball rule used to be was brought in 150 years ago to stop team playing playing with two goalkeepers. So it was intentional. Not only the guy use his hands intentionally in the box, but all oh, that's hitting the ball off your arm and the actual shape and all that. A lot of nonsense. Get back, just get back to there's too many penalty kicks in the game as well. It's ridiculous. Uh, too many VAR disruptions. That's why we games that are lasting 180 minutes and all that stuff. I mean, some of us are going to have buses to catch. First catch. First, we're doing this in Scotland after games. We're going to be working to midnight for midweek games. I've got a 6-2 beat to catch up the road. I mean, it's a nightmare. Seriously, Michael, we're going to have to bring kickoff time forward if you want young people to go to midweek games. Genuinely, sorry, it's a problem uh, coming down the pipeline. Uh, this is going to happen. Uh, it's going to be a problem. Um, what I thought was interesting, um, just uh, on on a same topic, I was fortunate enough to speak to Stephen Robinson yesterday, the Superman manager for a thing that's in the paper today, there was a few years there, and, and he was talking about it, and there was obviously a meeting that, that Mick's referencing there that Ian Maxwell spoke about, that the, the managers and a few of the managers and referees and the head of referees was involved and things like that, and it was interesting to hear him say that the referees actually sympathise with the managers in the sense that they're awarding penalties that they don't actually really think themselves are penalties, but they feel like they have to, because that's the rules. Like they must admit, down if they don't, kind of thing. It got me thinking, because it was like, well, you know, Stephen kind of mentioned that it comes from IFAB, as you guys have said, it's up above, all the... I kind of thought to myself, why does this... Can Scottish football itself, the referees, the managers, and just go, do you know what, we're not going to do that IFAB road, we'll just go back to doing it the way we think. I mean, 
Will somebody from FIFA come and watch, catch them, IFAB, throw them out of European football if they start doing it their own way? They won't get games in Europe. That's the problem. They, they apply their own version of the rules. They won't get European games. They won't get, any, they won't get the Category A games, the Champions Leagues and all that stuff and the European qualifiers. So if you, if you go your own way, you're at the tent. I mean, it comes to that kind of stuff. Well, so that's, that, 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 so that's, that's why they've got to apply the rules across the board. But the rules I, are I, wrong. I, I understand that, but to be honest, for Scottish football, the supporters, the game itself, and the people involved here to have a better product, I think we can sacrifice Willie Collum getting a Besiktas game in the Europa League. <laughs> so, I mean, it really right. matter, well, Willie Collum sacrificing Besiktas is five grand a whip for these games. Is he going to sacrifice I think, it? I think I probably used the wrong phrase there, but you know what All I mean? Right. <laughs> we need um, our own house to first. They, they, just because they've got it wrong. They've got it wrong at the high levels of football. Why do we just... I know it's the rules, blah, blah, blah. But if, if even the referees and the managers and everyone are all agreeing that we should do it a different way, why don't we just do it a different way? No. Stuff the rest of them. Yeah, I think it, I think it will get tweaked again because it, the handball rule gets tweaked every year. And, um, and they haven't got it right since. They haven't got it right for a long time. So at some point, they'll get closer to it. I, I would just like them to bring back common sense. Do you know what I mean? Uh, they're taking they're taking the common sense approach out Stephen of. Stephen Robson said that yesterday. He said well, that they're not going to use common sense, and and, he, and the referees themselves are guided. They can't use common sense. Do you know what's you know what common sense is, right? See when a player looks guilty, he's probably guilty, right? So <laughs> and, and I don't know if they do teach these referees this thing, but if a player looks as though he's done something wrong, and you can tell by looking at him, he probably has. These guys are getting done for penalty kicks that they don't even know they've done something wrong. And that tells you something. You know what I mean. A bit of common sense and reading the game would be to go amiss. Either on the pitch with referees or in the in the office with the VAR, because you can tell right away when someone's done something wrong with a look in their face. It's that it's that look, Daniel, when Michael mysteriously finds him both thirty yards and they're off. <laughs> when you're match player, you go, I found that really. I can't remember. It's that look. Mrs. Garrett says, "What happened to that chocolate bar in the fridge?" I, go, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Guys, as ever, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll see how the SPFL select gets on against Argentina at the weekend. Um, uh, <laughs> and we'll hopefully be back next week, I should say, for everyone listening. Thanks very much. You can find us, obviously, at record under slash sport on Twitter and at daily record under slash sport on Instagram. Mick Swanee, thanks very much. No worries. Thank you, guys. And I'll see you all soon. Cheers. Cheers.